Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. I think so. Uh, We're happy again to welcome Michael Senna as our guest. Uh, Michael is the editor of the Dispatcher newsletter, well known for his expertise in transportation and mobility. Great to have you join us again, Michael. Happy to be here. Nice to have somebody from the other side of the pond with us. Yeah, you're based in Sweden, Michael. And before we get into the latest edition of the Dispatcher, what is life like there in trying to deal with the spread of, of, of COVID-19? I guess I'm, I think in a way I'm the wrong person to ask because um, my wife and I have been trying to, to live as normally as we can. We've been going out every day for coffee um, in, our, in our, the places that are still open. Restaurants are still open here. There's food on the shelves, um, but it's, People aren't going out anywhere. They're not. They're not going to work. Most people um, are staying and working from home. We're working from home, baby. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Let's see. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it it doesn't. It feels a little bit bizarre because we're. It's it's like the news is on the radio every time. You put the radio on. They're only talking about the virus. I'm not sure how many people have died, but not very many. I'm not sure how many people have, have gotten it, but it's probably um, a rate that's maybe three times what it is in the U.S. compared to our population. But the, the number of people who've actually died from it is very, very few. It feels just really weird. It, I don't know how else to, to describe it. I, was, I went to Geneva. It was probably the last time anybody was going anywhere. And then last week, things began to shut down while I was working at a client in Gothenburg, staying at a hotel, eating dinner in a restaurant. Um, but that, everything sort of shut down over the weekend. And, and, the, and the government is now trying to decide how much further should be shut down. But I've also been watching the news in the U.S. and, and compare, comparing how we're handling it here to how things are being handled in Germany and France and and the U.S., I, I have to say that I, I think our government is doing a really, really good job here. That's just, it feels, it feels like, you know, they've got our interests in, in, at the top of the priority. They're not looking at anybody else. They're not trying to be better or worse than anybody else. They're just trying to do the best job that they can for the people here. And I think that's, it's, it's showing in the way that people are acting and reacting. I think that's uh, that's laudable that uh, then in fact you're you're behaving that way over there. Um, over here, it's it. Uh, I agree with you. It is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's essentially nobody on the roads. So I what I would like to see are daily numbers of people killed in traffic accidents and traffic and so on in the U.S. because we kill, uh, what, 38,000 per year, 100 per day, give or take. Uh, we may be saving 100, 100 lives per day because nobody's going anywhere. I, I don't know what that number looks like. Um, um, uh, so uh, it is really uh, strange that nobody's going anywhere. Uh, with respect to the virus, I, I keep talking to, to Elizabeth and my wife about it. She doesn't like me talking about it. 
I don't understand the numbers. Yeah. I just don't understand the numbers. I, I like the flattening of the curve so that, so that the peak um, um, outbreak uh, does not cripple the healthcare system. Mm. Uh, but, but it seems as if the capacity on the U.S. healthcare system on this thing, I, I would look at the key number being the, the number of, of ventilators available for use. Because um, uh, I guess that's the process of dying from this. Yep. You might get it and it's not so bad, so you can still breathe and you survive it and you're good to go. Or it gets you so bad as, as, as I was with, with bacterial pneumonia, mm. for which I was on a ventilator for 11 days, um, basically out cold and strapped down. Now, if, if people need ventilators to get through it, because when they finally pulled it out of the ventilator out of my throat, I started breathing and great, I, I, I made it through it. Um, but um, but if, if a ventilator is a key piece of equipment that you need to keep people alive on this thing, then, then the capacity of the healthcare system is on ventilators. Yeah. And as I understand, or at least as what I've read, I, I try not to listen to the news because, of course, that's just noise. I try not to turn on the radio because that's more noise. But but apparently we have 72,000 of these things in the U.S., whatever the number is. I'd like to know, you know, what is, how many are in use today? Mm. Okay. How many are in you? How close are we to reaching that capacity? Because apparently every person that you can't put on a ventilator is going to die. Okay. Now, maybe a lot of people that go on ventilators die too. But, but in fact, you know, everybody doesn't get, get a ventilator dies. And, and that, that would basically be able to, to tell us whether or not we're coming, how we're dealing with flattening the curve. But if it's 72,000 ventilators... I used one for 11 days. That means a ventilator can be used for three people per month. Yeah. That, holy mackerel, you know, the curve, the curve has to extend out for, for years to flatten it out such that you don't, you don't hit that constraint. So that's what I don't understand about this dynamic, where we are with that, or maybe where Sweden or the Nordics are with, with, this, with the same issue. Any thoughts, Michael? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. Honestly, I don't. I, I, I haven't thought of it in those terms. Well, one, one of the issues here is, uh, and you're, you're about numbers, uh, Alan, and, and you too, Michael, is that yeah. without, without adequate uh, testing, and uh, there isn't uh, still, how do we know how prevalent this is? We just we, don't. We don't. We don't know the denominator, uh, is what yeah. you're saying. Okay. Yeah. We sort of know the numerator. You know, that's either the number of people that have been confirmed to get it, or the number of people, the number of people that have died. I mean, I hope that number is is somewhat solid. Uh, the the denominator is this thing's been around for three months. Yeah. I I don't think I'm separated from somebody in Wuhan by more than 10 people, certainly, maybe not even five that I come in contact with. So that means that if this thing is spread as easily as it's discussed to be spread, I've had it already. It's had three months to pass down through 10 people at most until it reached me. 
And so I, I don't know. I, I don't understand that whole thing. So uh, my wife tries to keep me from, um, you know, discussing it because she thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> and, and I probably am, you know, I, I probably am. Well, the lead article in the March edition of The Dispatcher, uh, Michael, is the U.S. and the EU can still save their car industries. This has nothing to do with the virus. And, and yeah. your, your thinking is the U.S. government, uh, uh, one of the points that you make, should not be promoting electric vehicles above other technologies. Maybe that's an oversimplification? No, it's, it's not an oversimplification. And just as a preface, as I was, as I was writing the, um, the issue, as I was writing that, that article, the coronavirus began to be more and more important. It, it didn't, I didn't start over. I could have, I could have started over completely and, and written it from a completely different perspective. Um, I've started writing the next issue, but I'm not sure that if I, if I release that, that issue, that I'm not going to be labeled as a, as a, um, a sino negativist, uh, so I'm probably not going to put that out there. But this this is the whole issue with with supply chains is made even more obvious to I think to people after this has occurred because the Western countries are completely at the mercy of the supply chains in the East, primarily those in China. I mean, 50% of our, of, our, of our medicines are being produced in China. That's a lot. I mean, everything that's related to pneumonia is produced in China, not, not in the U.S. We have no, I don't know where the rest, 20% is in India. So now we've got 30% that's, that's in the U.S. and the rest of the world. Now, we, we have, if you look at the automotive industry, we have continued to outsource more and more. But the point of the article, the main point of the article is that by moving to electric vehicles, we have we can eliminate all of the value that has been put into GM, Ford, BMW, all of the companies that have developed vehicles based on either uh, gasoline or, or diesel, um, the internal combustion engine over the last hundred years. All of that value is, is gone. And the value goes into something which I've called a skateboard, not my term, but I've, I've used that term. It goes into the skateboard, which can be produced much less expensively than anywhere in the world because all of the supply chains for that are in, in China. China can do two things by promoting the electric cars. First of all, if they build enough electric cars, they can eliminate all ICE vehicles. Therefore, they don't, do not do not have to purchase petroleum, although now they can get it very cheaply. Maybe they can, maybe they'll change their strategy. <laughs> um, they don't have to buy petroleum and they can export to the entire world 50% of the value of every car that's sold. And that's the point of the article. And if no one is, if no one has understand that, stood that before I wanted to put it out there for people to just reflect on and think about what are we doing by promoting electric cars first of all all the electricity that's produced in China basically all the electricity that's produced in China is coming from dirty coal brown coal 
not anthracite coal like we used to burn in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but the, the, the bad coal that they burn in the West, like, like where, where, where Alan is from, down, <laughs> down, in, down in Pittsburgh in West Virginia. Uh, uh, and, 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 and the electricity that we're going to be producing for those cars is not the cleanest of electricity, even, even in Europe. I mean, look at Germany and Poland, who are you know, really bad producers of, of, uh, of electricity. So that was that was the point of the article, and I, <laughs> I got a number of of, wow, replies. Wow, I didn't think about this. I, you know, how did you how did you come up with this idea? Where did you get? Where did where did this come from? I totally agree. You know, what should we do? You know, but that's where we are. Yeah, it it, it is a, it is a real situation. I mean, one only needs to look at the what happened with scooters and what's happened with bicycles you yeah. know that that's that's the microcosm of this all of a sudden the you know the manufacturing capabilities you know were put to force they produced gazillions of them and distributed them around the world and uh, whatever yeah and then there was essentially no input to any of those things by any other country so no. it's it might not it's greater than 50 percent there it might be even who knows what but the, it, it's it's a big number and uh, and uh, with respect to the cars yes um uh, you know the 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 nice situation that, is, that has existed in the United States since post World War II, and and the strength of that economy has been built around the car. Now, sure, yes, it has polluted. It has used the environment as a dumping place, uh, you know, for for its negative aspects and so on and so forth. And we can point to those things. But in fact, uh, the positive components to the economy, uh, the uh, you know the the jobs that it created. The improvement in in the in the uh, earning power of of the middle class and certainly the lower middle class, uh, you know all those assembly line jobs at General Motors, Ford, uh, and so on were you know changed the lives of people, changed families, uh, uh, led to the educational system that we have here in the U.S. and somewhat exported around the world and so on and and all of a sudden uh, that industry is. Uh, is teetering. <laughs> yes. It's in trouble. So, um, uh, yeah, um, um, it's uh, it's wow. I think it was one of those that, that may have been my response when I read it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It is uh, it is big. Michael, what about uh, what about those who say, well, isn't Tesla building its batteries in in Nevada? Yeah, well, they're building them in and that again. Uh, what I I said that there's one exception here. Uh, and I've and I've talked about Tesla many times. That Tesla is is an automobile company. It's not it, it, at its foundation, it, but it's a different kind of automobile company. And yes, the cars are manufactured in the United States. The batteries are manufactured in the United States. Now they're now they're starting to do both in China. They're trying to do both in in um, in Germany. And and look what's happening. And the environmental folks don't really understand. They're, they're building a factory in a place where there are 30,000 jobs are going to disappear within the next 10 years because they're going to close, close the coal mines. Tesla comes in to be able to, to produce 10,000 jobs. And, and what happens? The, the environmentalists in, in, in uh, Germany say, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't do it here. Do it someplace else, but you can't do it here. It's crazy. So um, yes, Tesla, but, but again, Tesla, what, what Tesla did was it, what it, it put, it turned the light bulb on in China. 
China was two, three, four years ago, China wasn't looking at electric cars, but, but they got the message. We can build a skateboard. And once we build a skateboard, Tesla can do everything it wants to do, but we're going to be able to produce millions of cars. Tesla can produce its, you know, whatever it's going to produce in, in uh, the course of the, of the next uh, two years, if it takes over from everybody else, maybe, maybe it'll take over all of the other cars that are produced by every other uh, company today, like Volkswagen and, and so on. Um, and China will produce the rest of them, or it'll put Tesla out of business because they won't, they won't be able to produce cars that even the luxury cars that, that at the prices that they can, they can produce them in China because they own the, they own the, the, the complete chain. Interesting. And, uh, of course, uh, your, your feeling is that China could wind up dominating the mobility industry? Absolutely. I mean, look, as Alan said, they've got the bicycles, they've got the scooters, they bought, they bought Segway, and you know, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly everything, that's, everything that's produced by, or that's based on Segway is produced in China. Um, they're now exporting all over the world the, the, uh, the technology that they, that they acquired from the French companies on, to build uh, high-speed rail. Uh, they're building nuclear plants all over the place because they acquired that technology. But those, those kinds of, of uh, high-speed rail and, and nuclear technology, nuclear plants, are simple compared to the car. And the number of jobs that are involved in, in the car industry compared to those industries is, is, is it's maybe it's a magnitude of difference or, or a double magnitude of difference. I mean, it's huge, the number of jobs that are dependent on this. And if suddenly you've got the base of the car, at least 50% of it being produced in one place and exported to the rest of the world, as, as the case is now with, with bicycles and, and electric scooters, they own the industry. And what's, what's left? What are your thoughts about then what the automakers should be focusing on? I mean, GM and, and the others have all announced their, their big electric vehicle plans. Uh, I mean, I think they announced their big electric vehicle plans because they didn't have a choice. The, 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 and that this, is the, this is the basis or the foundation of the article. They have been pushed into a, into a corner by the government starting back in 19, their governments starting back in the, in the 1970s, late 60s with the United States and following 10, 15 years later in, in Europe. People began, people, the politicians began to come up with the, the ideas that one, we have to save on fuel. We have to we have to get ourselves out of the out of the buying the fuel business. So we have to make our cars more more fuel efficient, and then we have to make them more more emissions efficient. So we have to do everything to reduce the dependence on on gasoline, diesel, on on fuels, and we have to reduce the impact on the environment. And they kept pressing and pressing and pressing. Where China wasn't involved in any of that. China came in later, and they're not selling cars in the United States. They're not selling cars in 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 Europe yet, um, but all of the other companies have been in, involved in this in this race to be able to get the, to get the fuels efficiency up and the emissions down. And every time they do, it gets more. It gets more uh, drastic, and that's why I said it's you know you you if you and if you don't. If you don't meet these requirements that are established, and who established them? The government established them based on what? On the so-called science, which says this: we have to do this, else, otherwise the planet is not going to live, exist anymore. Well, the planet will exist, but we won't be around. But that's a, that's another story. They set these these laws, but at the same time, they ignored the main 
cause of the emissions. And at the, at the same time, the United States, at least the US, has become self-sufficient in, in fuel, in oil. So that, that sort of all of these things have been pushing the, the companies into a position where they, they can't compete anymore. Their, their costs have gone up. They can't raise the prices of the, of the vehicles. Their margins have gone down. And you can see this in Ford. I mean, Ford is, is just unraveling. Um, you know, General Motors is doing its best to, you know, to stay in business, but, it's, but closing down factories all over the world and, and, and sort of shrinking into a, into a, a, a suit that's, that basically has been created as a, as a straitjacket by the US government and by the governments around the world. And all of this is putting pressure on the, on the, to, the, to the extent that the only solution now is for someone to come in and say, well, you know, we can provide you with, with, with cars, really cheap cars, and we can provide you with everything that you need. You don't need all these other companies. We can satisfy your requirements for, for fuel efficiency. We can satisfy your requirements for emissions. And here we are. Yeah, well, you know, China doesn't have to sell cars in the U.S. All they have to do is build a build a, the skateboard, as, as exactly. you say, and exactly. and then distribute that. Uh, they don't sell all their gizmos that they make now. They Walmart goes in there and buys them and puts them in the Walmart stores, and Walmart sells it. If you yeah. look at Walmart, I don't know what the if you look at the content for each dollar you spend in Walmart, how much of that dollar goes to China? I, eighty eighty percent. 80%. Okay. I was going to say it's at least 50. Okay. I mean, sure. Some money goes in to pay rent, to pay electricity, to pay the workers and so on. And there is some other non-China content in there, but the rest of that money, each dollar you spend goes directly over there. Now that's part of the global economy that we've created or that yes. has come out of all of this. Uh, I get to buy cheap pants for 15 bucks. It's, yeah. it's it's cheaper to go out and buy a new pair than to wash it almost. I mean, sure. it's not, you know, and all that stuff. And, yeah. and so we've gotten to this overconsumption. I don't know if this virus thing is going to make it so that we look at all of our consumption and say, maybe, maybe quality is better than quantity. And maybe we'll look for things made in Sweden or the U S and instead of, instead of China, I don't, I don't know. Some, some, things are going to change because of that but but that's the situation that we're in right now and and i guess everybody i guess everybody realizes it but that's that's where we are and and you mentioned the 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 supply chain i think one of the one of the interesting comment that i heard so i'll repeat it it really doesn't come from me but i agree with it is that, uh over the past 10 15 20 25 or 20 years we focused on optimizing the supply chain, uh, making sure that, that it's basically uh, maximum efficiency, minimum cost. I, I think after this, we're gonna look at the resilience of the supply chain, yeah. maybe much more than the cost of it, because all of a sudden things, I mean, this disruption uh it is it's it's yeah. part it, the supply chain is a key piece of it and what you need need for it is to be is for it to be resilient as opposed to necessarily the cheapest and so um that's going to change uh the issue is is you know we'll have to look at some numbers that come in from amazon to see how many more people are buying on amazon and having the, the things delivered to their house and it's interesting to see um, what some restaurants are doing in the initial pieces. 
their their clothes uh, for people eating in there, but takeout or delivery, and apparently maybe the grocery delivery business is emerging out of all this uh, because people are ordering uh, their groceries online. Um, I tried to go to Costco yesterday. There was a long line outside of Costco. Really? I think it's because they were limiting the number of people uh, that were in there. I, I went to Home Depot and they would only allow 50 customers at a time to be inside the building. And there was a, somebody on the outside counting the people uh, plus and minus coming in and out. We're going to have to develop, maybe we should get some automatic yeah. uh, people counters that, you know, we could sell that, make some money on whatever, uh, to um, then uh, monitor the number of people that are inside the, inside the, uh, the uh, building. Although if they limit Costco's to 50 people, Costco can't, can they stay in business with only 50 customers in there? I don't know. The big box stores are gonna have, gonna have some trouble. Maybe it's back to the mom and pops They'd love to have 50 people in the mom and pops uh, <laughs> at a time. But well, anyway, they, they, just, they weren't scanning your forehead yet uh, to take your temperature before you went in. I, I don't uh, They weren't, although I do. Um, I, I'm still doing outpatient therapy at, at St. Lawrence um, um, uh, Hospital. And uh, yesterday and today when I went in there, they, they were scanning everybody's temperature and asking you, asking the appropriate questions before they let you in there. So it would not surprise me that all of a sudden all these places start having, you know, uh, temperature sensors and so on and so forth uh, and letting people in. You know, it's it's probably an appropriate thing to do. Look, if you're sick, stay home. Absolutely. Uh, you know, don't go out there uh, doing what you might do. Don't do what I did when I first got sick. I, you know, for five days, I went and taught my classes. I you know, did everything. Luckily, I wasn't contagious because I had the bacterial variety of this thing as opposed to, to the, the, the virus variety. But uh, um, um, anyway, um, um, you know, those are fundamental uh, safety measures here. We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. You can get more information at MOTOETF.com. ETFs, as you may know, can be a good way to spread risk while investing in a category of stocks. There's a white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution at MOTOETF.com under the Insights and News tab. It's worth your time to check it out, learn more about the focus. In some other news, uh, Alan, the National Highway Trans Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, has proposed changes in some safety standards to help speed the adoption of driverless vehicles. Uh, it looks like they're looking to end the current practice that has autonomous vehicle makers uh, seeking waivers from federal standards. Uh, the proposal is open to public comment for the next 60 days at regulations.gov yeah well i think it's it's a good thing i'm not so sure that it it is focused on uh, really uh, uh moving the ball along to do driverless it's certainly focused on moving the ball along to do self-driving and to provide those capabilities uh to the uh conventional automobile uh but uh, i think it, it's it's a it's a reasonable approach to take at this point uh, again, uh, with respect to, to the driverless, 
I think the, the situation there is, is that the, the, the private sector is so far out ahead of the public sector with this. Uh, they've invested such a, an exorbitant amounts of money that the public sector can't even think about uh, uh, investing in this. And in some sense, uh, we're kind of stuck in having to, to trust them, uh, recognizing that if anything bad starts to happen, uh, the response could be a, a, a coronavirus type of response, uh, completely shutting down the, the efforts. So in a sense, uh, all the people that are doing this are really going to have to take safety uh, under uh, seriously uh, and, and, and not play around with it. And it's not just safety within the vehicle, it's safety outside the vehicle, it's safety for everybody around the vehicle. Uh, because uh, any bad news uh, is going to is going to shut the, shut them down, uh, and I always refer to the you know what happened to to Uber with respect to uh, the Elaine Herzberg crash. Uh, you know uh, it cost them sixty billion. Um, anybody uh, who doesn't do this uh, by in keeping their nose clean when they're doing it or wiping their feet is going to be in trouble. So I think everybody realizes that within within the uh, the corporate sector and um, and and the loose cannons are 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 basically uh, uh, they're 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 chained down and uh, not loose anymore. Uh, Michael, thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> thoughts can. I think we're going to we'll have a we'll touch on the future network car uh, 2020 in, in Geneva two weeks ago where there was someone there from uh, from the U.S. government from Nizza. Um I don't know. I, I, I th my opinion really is that at this point in time the main thing that Nizza can do is is to try to to get some consistency across the states so that people aren't competing. From one state to another to to get uh, development going there versus going someplace else, and I think that's that hasn't been done by Nietzsche. So, it, uh, but as far as the the, the latest business, I, I really haven't anything more to say on that. Yeah, well, uh, yes, Nietzsche should do that. I think uh, serving on the AV task force in New Jersey, I think our focus was to make sure that New Jersey uh, somewhat fell in line, at least with the leaders in in, in other states. Uh, to, to get a, a commonality out there. Uh, in our report, we have a reciprocity a, a, a component in which uh, uh, we will, just like with driver's license, you get your driver's license in Mississippi, you can drive in New Jersey. And uh, so we at least listed some states where we thought that, uh, that what they had developed uh, was, uh, was in line uh, with what New Jersey uh, thought would be appropriate in terms of both uh, creating a welcoming environment uh, for all this, as well as making sure that, uh, as I like to do, <laughs> I like to welcome that view of this thing. You're welcome to come to New Jersey and do this, uh, but uh, wipe your feet. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, do it responsibly. What mm -hmm. what more could one ask? I mean, that's what one has to ask for. One one has to ask for respect for both sides, especially here in the beginning. One of the takeaways you mentioned the the, the session that I, I I I was on Zoom, I guess, or something uh, in in participating with it. One of the interesting comments that I got out of it was in the discussion with respect to cybersecurity, 
um, the, 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 I think, consensus of the group was that in, in addressing the cybersecurity issues, uh, everybody tended to be cooperating on this. In other words, there was there was a co cooperation among among essentially all participants uh, to work together uh, to uh, to make these things secure uh, and 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 to fight cybersecurity. Um, and and it's not the same concept that exists with safety. Uh, mm -hmm. The sharing of the data in the safety area right now. Is is almost like uh, safety is is part of the intellectual property part of an an entity, uh, rather than a common goal of the whole industry. And I've argued, and I'm sure you've argued that in fact safety, <laughs> if one of us is unsafe, we all lose, and if we're all safe, we all win. And so, therefore, we should be in it together. And we need to find ways around antitrust and collusion and all those things associated yeah. with it. Companies should be competing on things other than safety. It seems like in the cybersecurity end of this thing, companies and entities have decided we're not going to compete on being uh, the safest, uh, most secure cyber entity. We're going to share that so that everybody why? Because there are a lot more players in every piece of the chain, and they all and they all interact, and they probably all have to, they, by necessity, they have to do it. Whereas safety seems to be out there. Hey, it's my code, it's my whatever, it's my gizmos, and I can keep it to myself. And and somehow I'd, I'd like to see those two things come together to to a unity. Comments, Michael? Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and I I think. Um... There are major differences between the way things work in, in Europe and the way things work in the United States and also the way things work in, in Japan, Japan, Korea. Um, there, is, there is a cooperative system that's in place in Germany where the German companies cooperate with each other. Um, and I've never, I've never quite understood how they've managed to do this without coming into the, to the, uh, to the sites of the European Competition Commission. But I think it's because and I trust and yeah, they trust. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, but I think it's because they they are doing things that are are really important and, and they see them as leading this for the rest of the industry, for, you know, for, for France with, with Renault and PSA and with uh, Sweden and, and the UK and, and uh, with Italy. But it doesn't seem to be the same in, in the US. I don't see the same kind of, of level of, of cooperation. First of all, because there aren't that many companies that are US based. Uh, Tesla's Tesla's like the the company that nobody wants to talk to, and in Ford and General Motors never have talked to each other. I mean, that's right, like right. just oil and water. Yeah. Um, but but we have that's one thing, and and so we've we've had for quite a long time now a a, a sense of first we establish how things work amongst us, then we go out to the to our European the SEN standardization, and then we'll finally go out to ISO. But we have had another thing in in Europe, which has extended beyond Europe. And you had this exchange with, with Russ about WP29 and mm -hmm. ITU and UNCE. Mm -hmm. and I have to admit, five years ago, 
this was this was all these were letters to me and i really didn't understand it but over the last course of the last five years working in with the ITU and, and being part of, of the work that's being go, that's been going on there, I've really come to understand how how important the work of the UN, these two these two groups, the International Telecommunication Union and the and the uh, United Nations United Nations European Cooperation, um, have with this the work that they do primarily in telecommunication standardization, and this is one of the reasons why the cybersecurity has had an international cooperation because over the year updating was seen as one of the most important aspects of the cybersecurity and it's extended from there so that now they're taking into account ADAS, advanced driver assistance systems, uh, telecommunications, e-call, all of those things are, are being brought into this and as you said this this hasn't yet gotten to the to the next stage for the for the other areas such as safety. Uh, and it has to, it absolutely has to, it has to work the same way. It has to work the same way. And, and there's such an opportunity with safety. I mean, I, I keep pointing to, to the data that, that the Tesla must, must have, uh, that it's acquired from having all of its vehicles, basically yeah. uh, uh, sending information back to the, they yes. know where all the trouble spots are on yes. essentially, if not every road in California, in the United States, every road in, in California, California, because yeah. there are so many of them that have gone over these things so often. And, 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 and it's much more exhaustive and extensive uh, than, than any efforts made by any DOTs to go out and map and all the, and all the things that they do to find where the cracks are to see where their maintenance, which potholes need to be filled i mean yeah. these cars are going over these roads day in day out they're collecting these data and talk about the, this is real big data you could throw it out there in an algorithm it's going to come back and find the outliers for you that's where the trouble spots are yeah. you can probably rank them you know top to bottom start working on the top ones and work on down and and, and all that stuff should be shared yeah. i mean the Tesla, Tesla shouldn't be keeping it somehow to say, hey, we're going to do it for our, fine, do a, do a better job analyzing it for your own customers, but make it available so that everybody can benefit from it because this is all about safety and, and, and safety is key. It's not safe. It's not going to happen. Exactly. I totally agree. Well, we'll move on here. Uh, Waymo has suspended its ride services in the Phoenix area and its self-driving tests in California, with the exception of its fully driverless vehicles. Uh, the company's post reads, Our full driverless operations in Phoenix will continue for now within our early rider program, along with our local delivery and trucking efforts. Uh, they've stepped up the cleaning and sanitizing of vehicles, and they add... Removing the human driver holds great promise for not only making our roads safer, but for helping our riders stay healthy in these uncertain times. Alan? Yippee! <laughs> I mean, at least for me, it's... it's you, you, kind of, you kind of alluded to this last in our last podcast. I, I alluded to it in the, in the last Smart Driving Cars in, in the sense that, you know, we may look back 
on the coronavirus to be equivalent to the uh, elevator operator strike in New York City in 1945 that really basically moved the elevator industry to move to automatic elevators, which in fact, automatic elevators, unless you, if you don't have automatic elevators, uh, you, you don't have tall buildings. You, you really don't. You can't afford 24-7 service. I mean, you know, maybe you can in, in some, some uh, in, in Trump Tower or something like that, but you, you certainly can't in the tenements. And, 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 and I afforded that kind of living. Now, whether or not that kind of living survives the coronavirus and we all decide that we need to be dispersed in places like Princeton and so on, uh, uh, and, and, and the cities really aren't the place for people to live uh who knows but but in a sense um yeah um um uh, i i, I yippee let's <laughs> let's see what happens with it. i i i uh, again um as everybody knows i'm a fan the reason we have to go to driverless is not to put people to, out of work it's to make this affordable to the people who, in fact, uh, can't uh, can't afford or can't do the mobility by themselves, that's the opportunity. <clears throat> I mean, we're we're running New Jersey Transit now in New Jersey. There there are no riders. I mean, you, there are pictures being posted of of you know empty ten car trains and and so on and so forth. I mean, we're running them. I guess we're running the schedules. But even when they were filled. Uh, they, 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 the, the labor costs really uh, uh, makes it so that unless you're in the most dense areas, it just it doesn't make sense. It, it, you can't afford it. You can't, people can't afford to pay for a chauffeur. We're not that rich of a world yet. Uh, but if the chauffeur happens to be just a bunch of gizmos that are apparently free and, and software that you've, you've uh, copied and is essentially free, then all of a sudden you have an you know, opportunity to provide that mobility at a much, much lesser uh, cost incurred. What you happen to charge for it is a completely different thing. But the basis of the operation is one in which the cost is, is, is substantially lower. Uh, Michael, comments? Uh, well, Alan, you, you, got the, you got the biggest, uh, the, the largest number of words in the session that you were in um, that was on autonomous AI and autonomous cars as the reason why the real reason why we should have cars that are driven by themselves as opposed to people uh, having cars that they can ride around in with a, either with a chauffeur or a, a robotic chauffeur. Um, you know that I, I agree with you on this totally. I think the, the cost of, of uh, mobility for people who, who can't afford it, either who, people who can't drive, people who can't, can't get themselves uh, around in a vehicle and the lowest the cost, the lower the cost can be for them, the better if they need to get to the hospital, if they need to get anywhere. Um, unfortunately, I think most of the, the, the activity that's going on right now is not for that purpose. They're not developing that, those applications in the way that I think they should be focusing on them. It's more, you know, Waymo having a taxi service for, or Uber having a taxi service that, that's going to be used by people who are using it now. And that's people who can afford who can afford it. So um, 
you know, I, I totally, I totally agree. And, and the, you know, suddenly the, this whole business of, of being inside of a, of a, a vehicle, a taxi, where you're the only person there, you don't have to worry about being um, infected by the driver or by being infected by other people who are, you know, sitting next to you on a bus or even a minibus. Um, you know, that it's becoming, uh, it's an argument that's, that's suddenly becoming compelling. Well, Uber and Lyft, uh, Michael and Alan, have halted their shared carpool services in both the U.S. and Canada, just to underscore your point there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the other piece of it, though, was that, that we do shared ride because, you know, that's how you really get the, get the cost down. And so we have to back off on the shared or the, the cost of the individual um, down is by sharing uh, whatever cost of, of the vehicle is among one or uh, two or three or a handful. Yeah. Uh, now, whether or not it's, it's people that, that you have close contact with anyway and you don't mind riding with, uh, they probably are because if it originates from a point, they're probably your neighbors. Or if they originate from a workplace, they're probably people that you work with. So in a sense, uh, you know, the sharing there can still take place. Uh, sharing for a while has to be, um, uh, it, it has always been th tough and it has to be uh, rethought a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, the issue with respect to, to the Uber and Lyft drivers is, is not just the passengers. Just think of the poor Uber driver who has to sit there and, and, and offer, I don't know, 20 trips a day, 20 yeah. different people. Who knows where in the heck those people yeah. are? They're not taking their temperature. And in a sense, you know, uh, the, it, it's, it's the protection of the driver sure. in some sense as much as the protection of the passenger. Uh, so, um, and I guess there, there are some images out there on the internets that, uh, that basically show, uh, you know, people putting um, uh, plastic between the rear seat and the front seat and so on and so forth. I mean, it almost looks like, um, you know, it, when New York taxi drivers first put well, bulletproof shields between the front yeah. and back seats uh, so that they wouldn't uh, uh, get shot. Um, you know, this is now to keep the virus in check. So, so there are those things happening. It's a fluid situation. Uh, but in, in a sense, um, uh, back to the Waymo thing, I say, yippee, I, I, you know, I'm, I have all smiles on this one. Uh, why? Because it really emphasizes the, the driverless piece. We have we have to get the driverless and and Waymo is the only entity in the world that's doing it in some realism. Sure, there might be some Dis uh, Disneyland or, or some unique application someplace uh, where it's being done, but um, uh, otherwise, but in terms of trying to do it in, in some realistic setting that has an opportunity uh, to to uh, grow and, and and scale to serve a substantial part of mobility for for a substantial part of the population. It's Waymo that's doing it. Michael, well, you have well, we have. Uh, I just finished a, a report for um, one of the Japanese uh, agencies, infrastructure agency, and um, as part of it, I I I went to a suburb of Stockholm, a little a sleepy little area that now is growing very quickly and it's been used to put the first uh, official Stockholm local traffic of bus. It's a little guy, you know, it's, it's made by, by a company that's making these, these little uh, 
self-driving buses all around the world uh, called Nova. Yeah. And so I went there, I drove there. And uh, as I was coming up behind the, the bus, I had, it took me a while to find it. It was, finally had to ask directions and they said, oh, you want that, you go there and you'll, you'll find it. So I managed and, and I'm driving up behind it and it had snowed. We had very little snow this, this winter, but it snowed that day. Um, and I'm driving up behind it, and, I, and I'm, I'm planning and park, get it, driving around it, parking the car, and then get, you know, sort of flagging it down so that I could get in and, and ride in it. Um, but as I as I approached it, I saw that it had stopped. So I, I came closer and closer, and and then I saw the 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 uh, the assistant, the person who's in there tender. to make sure the things were at the tender. Yeah. He had gotten out. And he's talking to two men who were, who do not look Swedish, um, and these two men were standing, not, they weren't on the curb, they weren't in the road, they were standing behind a car, that was parked, and I could see what he was talking to them, and I'm not sure that they understood Swedish or that that he was able to communicate with them, but he was, I could see that he was trying, he was, you know, so, sort of, you, you know, you have to get off the the road so that the car so that we can go ahead. And there was absolutely no understanding of this. Like they were just looking at him and I couldn't hear the conversation, but I could see it. I could see you know, how it was developing. And uh, I must've been there for two or three minutes. And finally I said, well, okay, I can do what I was gonna do. I drove around and I parked my car and I, and I got out. And at that point I, I saw that he was now, the car, the little bus was now moving and that these two guys were standing on the curb, looking, kind of looking at this thing without a driver and just completely baffled by what, what had just happened to them. So the, the, the bus wasn't going to move until they got back on the curb. Um, I just wonder how many, how many of these situations which occur all the time in different ways are occurring with Waymo. We don't. We don't know. Because have you have have either of you driven or ridden in one of the Waymo guys down there in Phoenix? I have not. Uh, we're, we're waiting. We we have it. We have an invite when all this ends. So yeah, hopefully we, soon. we have an invite to go. Dying. Absolutely, there are there are enormous numbers of these things, uh, Michael. And and hopefully, what they're doing and what they've done and and what other people have done and and certainly what Uber did in Pittsburgh and so on and trying these things is basically uncovering all these situations. And these things should all be put out there for everybody to understand as to how the behavior is and and to get these things to work. But but you can. Imagine, just think if we were back 120 years from now, uh, or uh, back 120 yeah. years yeah. with, you know, these vehicles coming down and we're with our horses, mm -hmm. okay? I mean, the same, we, we've been through this before, okay? Uh, and, and things change. I think we've been through this before with respect to, I know you're looking at me. <laughs> you know, we've been through this, we've been through this before with, with, the, with these devices, you know, now it's all right to walk down the street doing this. If you would have done that 20 years ago, the people would have called 911, they would put you in the straitjacket. Well, you're holding up a mobile device for people wondering what uh, you're talking about. <laughs> uh, what do you I'm, think? Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing here. I mean, 
I, I can see, you know, I'm walking the dog down the street and the dog does something it shouldn't do, you know, when another dog comes by and I talk yeah. to the dog, you know, I say, look, you know, you, you shouldn't do this. And then the dog doesn't do it the next time and he gets something. Oh, you, our treat. dog continues to do it. So I don't know. You yeah. must have a good dog. Go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 I don't have a dog. Yeah. We don't have a dog at all. And that's why, because I probably wouldn't be able to talk to the dog in the way that, you know, my wife, Britt Marie would be able to do it, but I would, um, you know, and it would be nice if we could say this, the, he got back in the, the, the tender got back in the bus and as the bus was driving along, he said, you know, do you, now, did you get that? Did you understand? You know, they were, they weren't on, they weren't on the curb and you didn't really have to stop. You know, we, we might've slowed down a little bit and maybe honked your horn and said, you know, get back and, but you can't talk to it, the bus that way. Like you can talk to a dog or like you can talk to a kid or like, like you can talk to a young driver. I think the I software, think. I think the systems will have to evolve so that they can. Yeah. Okay. And it still doesn't put artificial intelligence in them. They'll still be very, very stupid, but they'll have to, they'll have to have the, the interface with the person will have to become more personal or mm. we will think that it is more personable. Otherwise it won't be welcoming. Okay, so go ahead. Yep. Well, one of the things that came out of our the cybersecurity session was that when I when I asked one of the panelists, you know, how are we how are we going to make sure that that this is happening, and he said, we're going to be sitting there monitoring every vehicle. I mean, he was serious. Yeah. And I think everybody understood that there will be people monitoring every single vehicle. Whether and it's so people or when it's this an algorithm. situation occurs. Someone is going to come on the loudspeaker <clears throat> from, I don't know, uh, Mumbai and say to those two guys, maybe say to, to them in their own language, you guys better get back on the, on, the, on the curb because if you don't, we're not going to be able to move. And then they'll understand. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there will be monitoring of all of these, and whether or not it's one person, one on one, it you can't afford that. Whether it's one on a hundred, one on a thousand, supported by an algorithm that goes out there and says, "Hey, focus on this guy." Yeah. I mean, you you go into a to a big building now. There, there's there's a security person that has you know fifty cameras they're looking at. You know, they can point to one of them. All that, all the stuff behind there is going is going to be there. There is going to be monitoring. That's why maybe the privacy issues of all of this and and how you deal with it. I know. I I believe that what exists in Chandler is every every person that uses the driverless system is a vetted person that has signed a non-disclosure that has agreed to whatever terms that that that. Uh, uh, Waymo has put out there. I'd love to yeah. see what those terms are just to understand them probably means that, you know, there are limits on liability and so on, and they may even get a payment or who knows what kind of deal they made with the first set of people to cooperate. Mm -hmm. They need people who are going to behave on there first of all, and they need people to actually understand what they're getting themselves into with yep. respect to all of this in the beginning. If they, if they did it right, they did that. I'm assuming they did it right and they did that. Yep. And that's what you have to do in the beginning. But uh, as it grows, there will have to be monitoring. Uh, people will have to behave. People will realize that if you want to do something bad, you get a chance to do something bad once 
otherwise then you know you're you're out of business yep. or you know that there's a button that says close the door goes directly to the, the trenton police station and you know people to deal with it so you know they'll those kinds of, of things will be in there is that too onerous is that too, i don't know but the private that, that's that's where the privacy issue did comes into play we had talked about Uber before, just a couple of other quick points. Uh, their chief financial officer this week said ridership has dropped by as much as 50% in cities that have been hard hit by the coronavirus. I guess no surprise there. And he also said that the company will deliver 300,000, more than 300,000 meals for free to healthcare workers and first responders who are working to combat the virus. So... I guess a, a, a ray of, of something nice there. Sure, they, they, they need they need to put some public relations out there and so on, and that's part of what they're doing. They should be happy. It's only down fifty percent. I think everybody's left the city. <laughs> I know I know my youngest daughter took off and left and you know left her apartment in, in Manhattan. Is there anybody left there? I mean, everybody's running for the for the hills. Uh, so. Um, uh, yeah, um, mobility is gone, is, is approaching zero. People aren't out there. And finally, amidst all of this, uh, Tesla has begun delivering its Model Y and doing it earlier than promised. Uh, yeah, it looks like you know, he's gotten his production lines uh, working and it looks like they're out there. Uh, I hope people are buying them or, you know, whatever. This is, these are changing times. And let's see, let's see really, um, you know, what happens. Uh, congratulations in putting it out there. Um, um, let, let's see. The numbers will be very interesting, I guess. You know, the, the comment, I'm wondering whether or not the, the, the plant in Shanghai is actually producing vehicles. And so when they report their next numbers, I'm sure they'll report the number of vehicles produced in Shanghai. And that will give us an indication as to whether or not anybody's working in Shanghai. I guess, uh, you know, that th those are the important numbers. Uh, to be able to put together a workforce that actually produces the vehicles coming out the other end on the assembly line is kind of, uh, you know, at least one number uh, that that uh, that would indicate as to whether or not how 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 closed uh, China is or not closed. We want to remind our, our listeners again, Alan, about the postponement of the fourth annual Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit. It had been scheduled for May. Uh, keep listening, uh, following uh, the newsletter for updates here. Uh, to find out when it will be taking place. I, we won't have a date for a little while, I don't think. But in the meantime, we're hoping all of our listeners stay healthy. Yes, absolutely. Uh, important for everybody to stay healthy. Important, you know, everybody wash your hands. And, um, you know, social distancing, I guess, is is kind of the, the, the key elements of this right now in terms of individuals. And if you don't feel good, you know, stay at home and, and self-quarantine. No, you know, that's, that's a minimum that you should do. And with respect to the, the summit, um, I guess we're looking in mid-October uh, as a possibility, um, but, um, you know, we'll just wait and see. Uh, more important thing is, is that uh, we have to get through all this and, and get the economies going again because uh, 
because I don't think, uh, you know, 7 billion people on the planet can be supported with the lack of economic activity that exists uh, today. So uh, to support that 7 billion, I guess we have to keep the, the Ponzi scheme of the, um, of the um, economy going and, uh, and uh, get everybody back to work. And talk about social distancing. Uh, thank you, Michael Senna, for joining us from Sweden. <laughs> That's more than six feet apart. It's yeah, we pleasure. did more than six feet, huh? yeah. uh, six thousand miles 6, or something, miles. whatever. Yeah, yeah quite, so yeah. so whatever. Yeah, yeah, six thousand kilometers or something. I mean, it must be something somewhere near. <laughs> anyway, it's been it's been a lot of fun, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's always uh, a pleasure. And we'll do it again, huh? Good soon. Hey, take yeah. care. Uh, and uh, your, hope your wife is, is feeling better and, and, and getting better and so on. Yeah. Seeing her going back and forth a little yes, bit. Exactly. Uh, she so came back from her walk. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Well, that, that's really wonderful and enjoy. Okay. Thanks. And we Thanks. urge you to uh, follow Michael's newsletter, The Dispatcher. The website is michaelsena.com. S E N A. Is that, is that the right place for that's people right. to go? That's it. Oh, terrific. Well, thank you again, Michael. That'll wrap up this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us. Some... Go ahead, Alan. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, Fred, and then I'll say something. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever you turn for your podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us as well. Find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for taking the time to listen and stay safe. Everybody stay safe. And, and for all of you, you should know that Michael was a hell of a halfback in his undergraduate career on the Princeton football team when he was here. Uh, take care. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>